Hey guys, this is Watercolor Podcast. I am your host, Nancy. Um, first, I want to say how cool it was. My first episode uh, got such great feedback. Um, I know, again, thanks so much for bearing with me with the poor audio and I can't edit for shit. <laughs> but uh, it was so cool seeing all the listeners come in and um, man, there was there's quite a few from the States, which like us um which was great i love america um i did a huge road trip last year actually and i saw 14 states which was great um and i do plan on eventually getting property down there so love the americans um a lot of canadian viewers but the crazy thing was there was like someone that listened from like italy and someone that listened from the uk which i thought was just the coolest thing ever. It was real cool. <laughs> but anyways, I don't want to get into too much stuff, but um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. And if you came back for the second episode, that is even cooler because it means you didn't completely hate the first one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this case is one that has been bugging me, obviously, for a long time. It's one that sticks with me. Um, I'm sure most of you, because you're all true crime crazy people as well. Um, I'm sure you'll probably know this case. It is a pretty known one. Um, yeah, and I have quite a bit of stuff here. It might be a bit long, so let's just get right into it. Um, I think I'm just going to stick with one part and, you know, you want to pause it. You want to, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you want to do. I do like them long just because, I don't know, I like to just hear everything out. And not wait for a second episode. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Alright, so it is the Yogurt Shop Murders. Again, most of you probably have heard of it. Um, but hopefully I can do it some justice. Because, again, it's sad. And as, I mean, all of them are. But, <clears throat> so, let's get right into it. So we're not wasting a lot of time. Um, on December 6th in 1991, near midnight in Austin, Texas, which... I haven't been to Texas yet, but I really, really want to go. Um, first responders were called to a fire inside a yogurt shop called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt. Once they had extinguished the fire, they made a gruesome discovery, one so horrific, the city of Austin would forever be in mourning. In a pile on the floor were the charred bodies of three young girls, who upon further searches they discovered a fourth, less charred girls, girl near the washroom. Each appeared to have been executed with a gunshot wound to the head. Um, I'll get more into the crime scene details uh, as we get going. Um, again, there is a bit of a warning in this one if you're not good with like sexual assault or anything. It's not too much details, but I mean, it does happen in this one and these girls are fairly young. So um, if you don't like hearing about that, then, you know, <laughs> I don't know don't listen or skip. <laughs> but um, first, I just want to talk about these young ladies because they were just so sweet and tragically taken that it's just so upsetting. <clears throat> so the victims were 13-year-old Amy Ayers, 17-year-old Eliza Thomas, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison, and her sister, 15-year-old Sarah. A little background for each girl. Um, Amy Ayers, she was the 13-year-old. Just repeating their age because just the brutality 
of these sweet little things is just so sad. Like, they're like teenagers, but you know, they're, they're like babies. Like, Jesus Christ. Anyway. Um, she loved animals and had aspirations to be a veterinarian. She worked on her school's yearbook and participated in the FFA, which, if you're not from America or too familiar, it is the Future Farmers of America program. You're going to hear the FFA a few times, so Future Farmers of America. <laughs> um, she also showed hogs at the local county fair and rodeos, like, just darling. Eliza Thomas... Uh, she was 17 and she worked at the shop. She was a member of the local Catholic church, a senior in high school, and also a member of the FFA. She loved country music, animals, and reading. She also wanted to be a veterinarian and she wanted to have a ranch and be like a rancher. Uh, her mother also believed she would be a writer. She just loved books. Um, <clears throat> she was very mechanically inclined and a talented welder and she enjoyed small engine repairs, which, hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jennifer Herbison, 17, she also worked at the shop. She, too, was a senior in high school. She was very ambitious, ambitious and also a member of the FFA. Twice a week, she tended to lambs at a local farm. And before her job at the yogurt shop, she worked at a grocery store. Like, she tended lambs at a farm. Like, these girls honestly can't be more wholesome. Like, it's insane. Um, the yogurt shop gave her an opportunity to work with her close friend, Eliza. She began working to help make payments on her Chevy truck that her and her dad got, like her dad helped her get it, which again, so cute. Um, <clears throat> she was also a member of her school's drill team and track team. Um, Sarah Harbison, she was 15. Uh, so this is Jennifer's sister. She also adored animals and was an active member of the FFA. She loved sports, and she was a cheerleader. She was also on her school's council. Friends and family described her as being full of energy and a great leader. So again, the most wholesome, sweetest girls, like all with the brightest futures, just loving animals, and, you know, they all wanted something to do with agriculture, and it's just so heartbreaking that they didn't get to um, fulfill, you know, the goals that they had had. Because for sure they would have had some great things going on. Sorry, you may hear my cat who's going crazy over here on my bookshelf. <laughs> Alright, so again, before I get into too much of the crime scene, um, which again is a bit horrific. Um, so I'm just going to get into like the timeline of the day of the murder. So the girls all attended their schools. No reports of anything strange or varying from normal daily routines. After school, Jennifer spent the afternoon with her boyfriend, Sammy. She then went home to get ready for her shift at the yogurt shop, which started at 7 p.m. On the way home, or sorry, on the way to work, she dropped her sister, Sarah, and her friend, Amy, off at the mall near her work, the North Cross Mall. Amy had planned to spend the night with Sarah and at Jennifer's. Um, they were to go help at the yogurt shop at closing, and then Jennifer was just going to drive them all home, so... Again, just so cute, having a sleepover. Um, it was a 10-minute walk from the mall to the yogurt shop. So they started work at 7 p.m. Then by 9.30, um, Eliza's mother dropped by the shop to check on the girls. Everything again was normal. She bought some yogurt, left. It was pretty regular during these late-night closing shifts because they close at 11 for some of their parents to just kind of stop in and check on them. Because, again, 
the most wholesome of families. At uh, 10.42 p.m. was the final sale in the register. At that point, they would begin closing procedures. Um, so usually 15 minutes before the store would close, they would lock the front door. As most of if any of you have like, worked in a store or anything, you know this. Um, it's pretty typical throughout. You lock the front door and then any customers inside, you like manually let them out. Just so no like new customers or anything could come in and you could start cleaning up and whatever. All right. So now we're going to get to the crime scene. So <clears throat> it will get a little detailed, just a little, because there's not a whole lot of details in this case. So um, I'll give what I got. <laughs> So they discovered the bodies after putting out the fire. Uh, the first were found, like the, th they first found the three of them. They were all nude um, and at least two were sexually assaulted, but they think all of them, it's just, again, you got to remember there was a fire. So almost all the evidence is completely gone, right? So, um, but with them all being naked, I mean, you know, um, so let's begin. Sarah, uh, she had her hands tied behind her back with her own underwear. She was also gagged. Uh, there was an ice cream scoop found between her legs. So that one, again, they believe she was sex. Well, she was sexually assaulted, I guess, but, um, they couldn't get much from her because again, she was in the fire. So not much evidence. Um, Eliza was on top of Sarah with her hands tied behind her back and gagged also. Jennifer was found adjacent to Sarah and uh, Eliza. It is believed that she was put on top of the two girls, like they were put in a pile. But when they were extinguishing the fire, that one of them maybe bumped her and she felt like fell over. I don't want to sound like insensitive or anything here. It's just the facts. Um, they believe this because she was severely charred. Um, and burnt compared to the other two because the accelerant was poured over them and she had pretty much the worst of it. Um, her hands were bound, uh, but no bindings were recovered. Again, the fire, right? It destroyed so much stuff. Um, there was also ligature marks around her neck. All three of them were shot in the head with a twenty-two caliber gun. Um, Amy was the last to be found. She was separated and not burnt as bad as the other girls. They had found a trail on the ground going from the girls in the back stock room up to near the washrooms. I'll post pictures of, I mean, everything I have. I don't have a whole lot. Um, there's a few pictures showing like the layout and things like that. Um, so indicating the first, so she also was shot in the head with a 22 caliber gun. Um, they believe it missed her brain though and didn't kill her. So at that point she had tried to escape. Uh, which is why she was found in a different spot. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work. Um, they had caught her. She was shot a second time uh, with a 38 uh, semi-automatic. It entered her brain and exited out her cheek. So from this right away, um, two guns, probably minimum two people. <clears throat> um, she was sexually assaulted. And because she escaped the accelerant, she wasn't burned as bad. So they were actually able to recover um, an unknown male's DNA using a vaginal swab. So this is kind of 
what they have to go on, right? That seems to be the only thing that really kind of made it out of this fire for evidence wise, right? So the police don't have much to go on since the fire ruined pretty much everything. Um, there also was $540 missing from the register. So they took the money, but obviously this wasn't robbery related. Well, I mean, it may have started as that or whatever, but you know, they did assault these women and murder them. If you wanted the money, just take the fucking money and go. No one cares about money. Um, so um, they tracked down all the customers who were at the shop that night. Multiple of them were um, near closing described two men sitting at a table uh, before they had closed the shop. Um, they all kind of said they looked really out of place. And one of the men had a can of, I think it was Coke. Um, neither were, had yogurt or anything. They were never identified. They've never came forward. Everybody else did. These two douchebags never. So <clears throat> here's a, just a few witness statements. Um, the final two customers at 11 PM were a married couple. They saw two men acting strange in the booth. The woman was watching them in like the glasses reflection. Um, she said they made her very uncomfortable. But once the girls began to clean up and put like chairs and stuff on tables, they were refilling the napkin holders. Um, they decided to leave because, you know, like these poor girls want to go home. Um, so they left, but the men were still just sitting there in the booth. So that was the last two customers. So before them, um, another witness, which is uh, Daryl Croft. He is a former police officer and I guess he had like a security company. Um, he went into the shop around 10 p.m., so about an hour before that married couple. Um, when he walked in, some guy dressed in like a military-style jacket approached him and asked him if he was a cop. He then offered him his place in line, and Croft was like, uh, no. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. Um, he said he was acting really weird. The man then went to the counter, ordered a can of soda, so this is when the guy got the pop that he... The other people saw him drink. Um, he then walked around the corner and headed to the back of the shop. So Croft was like, what the hell? Like, where the fuck's this guy going? So he asked Eliza and she was like, oh, he's just going to the restroom. Like, the restrooms are back there. So he was really suspicious of the man. Um, like I said, he was acting kind of weird. He just gave him a vibe. Like, he didn't feel good about the situation. <sighs> I wish he... Like, I mean, what are, what are you going to do? You can't, like, do anything just by a vibe. But, you know, you always wish things went different. I feel bad for him because, you know, after this, he probably was like, oh, my God, I should have listened to my stomach and done something. But, like, again, it's not this guy's fault. It's the stupid fucking idiots who did it. Um, so, yeah, he was suspicious. So he hung around for a bit waiting for the guy to come out of the bathroom and whatever. He said he hung around for a few minutes, but his ice cream, or sorry, ice cream, the yogurt was starting to melt. Um, so he left. He did have a really good description, though. He said it was a white male, about six feet, mid to late 80, or mid to late 20s, medium build, dark hair, clean shaven, deep voice, and like a long pointed nose. So he gave a really good description. Again, I mean, he was in law enforcement and stuff, so he kind of knows like what to look for and things that stick out, right? 
All right, so there was a reward for information. It started at 25000 and then it raised to 125000 I'll post, like, the billboard and stuff like that. All right, so our suspects. There was quite a few. I'm only going to focus on a couple of them just because we would be here forever. Actually, there's not a lot of information on a lot of them. So um, on December 14th, uh, Morris Pierce was arrested for being in possession of a firearm at the mall nearby. Uh, police, and he had, it was a twenty-two. Uh, police also took his friend Forrest Walburn into custody. They were 15 and 16 at the, at the time. Pierce said he gave his gun to Wilbur, Wilborn um, to commit the crime at the yogurt shop. He also stated that two other guys, Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott, stole a vehicle to leave Austin that night, the night of the crimes. Uh, Pierce... Um, he had confessed, but it was actually kind of buried and stuff because there was a detective, Detective Polano. Um, he was removed from the case. Turns out he he's not that great. Um, he is known for coercing false confessions for multiple people in multiple cases. Um, there's been actually a few really high profile ones and stuff where people went away for false confessing and then... The real killers came forward later. <laughs> and it was all him. <laughs> he was later fired, reinstated. Like, there was a bunch of stuff with him. Um, so the confession Pierce gave had some, like, different kind of statements and stuff. It didn't quite collaborate with everything. Uh, he never placed himself at the crime scene. He said he, like I said, lent his gun out and whatever. Um, so later... Oh, and it was, yeah, it was also determined that that detective probably fed him a lot of the information. Um, <clears throat> I'm not really sure when the gun thing comes into play. I think it comes in a little later um, with his lawyer. But I'll just mention it here now. So, you know, we're not beating around the bush too much. But that twenty two caliber gun, uh, it did not match the one used at the crime scene. So I guess that kind of gun is really hard um to match like ballistics with it but um they had tested like i guess over 75 guns or something his was one of the few dozen that definitely did not match so just a little side note <laughs> so for the next few years so that kind of went away like nothing really came of it they couldn't there was no real physical evidence to match them to the scene so over the next few years, they received a lot of tips, false confessions. They interviewed hundreds of suspects. Um, they took DNA from thousands of people, like anyone who had anything to do with the case, like relatives, friends, people in the area. Um, just, you know, they didn't even have much with the DNA back in the day. Like they couldn't do much with it, but they knew that advancements would come. So good on them. All right, so now let's skip up to 1992, um, amid America's satanic panic. <laughs> they tried that angle. It didn't really go anywhere. Um, there was also in 1992, two men were apprehended in Mexico for a kidnapping and sexual assault of some other girls um, in Austin. Uh, there is a strong, like very strong resemblance to one of the man, men uh, who one of the witnesses at the yogurt shop described. 
So Austin police uh, and went and interrogated them. They denied it, but then apparently later they had confessed it to Mexican officials. So the confession they gave, though, none of the information, like, didn't really line up a lot of it. And uh, they later recanted. But for that one, I'm not sure if they did, like, a photo lineup or anything for the witnesses, if they were identified. Um, I'm not sure if their DNA was ever checked. Like, there's nothing on it, really, that I can find out about it. Just that they kind of moved on. Um, then we have, uh, in 1998. Oh, I have my days a little. <laughs> I have things a little, uh, messed up here, I think. But anyways, <laughs> uh, Kenneth McDuff, also known as the Broomstick Killer, uh, while well, he was on death row about to be executed for, you know, raping and killing numerous women, I'll probably do an episode on him or something in the future. Um, he also confessed. He had some details wrong, so they weren't super sold on his guilt. So, you know, they kept looking and whatever. Like, they didn't stop everything based on this guy's confession. But later on, when DNA advancements were available... Um, they did test him just to rule him out, and yeah, he didn't match the DNA that was found. All right, so in 1996, a few investigators on the case looked through the evidence with fresh eyes and zeroed in back on Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott. So they re-interviewed them, and after a good old 20 hour of uh, interrogation, while implicating Pierce and Wilburn again, all four men were arrested. So, um, at the time, Robert Springsteen was now 24 and living in West Virginia. Uh, Maurice Pierce was also 24 and living outside Dallas. Michael Scott was 25. He was still living in Austin. And Forrest Welburn was 23 and he was in Lockhart, which I guess is just outside um, Austin. So, not too far. So it wasn't long, and Springsteen and Scott recanted their confession, saying they were coerced, which, I mean, there's been such history there with the coercion that it's hard to say, right? <laughs> um, it just, it seems to happen so freaking much, like, jeez. Anyways, charges eventually were dropped for Pierce and Welburn um, after they waited for three years in prison for this to go to trial. Because there wasn't really any evidence. Because remember, the ballistics and stuff, it didn't match his gun. Like, there was nothing to put them there at the crime scene. Uh, technically, there wasn't for the other ones either. But, for the hell of it, <laughs> bring him to trial. So, Springsteen was found guilty in 2001, despite, like, no evidence at all. Except his confession that he recanted. Uh, he was also given the death penalty. So pretty crazy. You're going to put him to death and there's literally nothing to tie him there except him saying he did it, but then saying he didn't. So anyway, uh, Michael Scott was also found guilty, uh, in 2002. He was given a life sentence. Um, again, no actual evidence linking either to the murder as of now in that time, um, in May 30th, 2006, so these guys were in jail for quite a while, <laughs> um, the Texas, well, not, I mean, not like West Memphis kind of long, but, you know, 
Um, May 30th, 2006, uh, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals overturned Springsteen's sentence because the confession from Scott was used improperly against Springsteen, so it had to be withdrawn. So, well, they didn't really have anything else to convict him. All they had was their word, like, what each of them said about each other. So basically what they did, they took the confessions, which, again, they both recanted later and was like, no, 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 we were told to say this. Um, they took their confessions against each other, put them in court, but they weren't allowed to question each other in court because you guys are in for the same crime and whatever. So they're like, you, you can't do that. So anyways, it was overturned. Um, prosecutors were very upset because they believed they had the right men who committed the murders. So they intended no matter what, they were going to retry, retry them. So in April of 2008, DNA technology had finally caught up and the samples of the unknown male, um, came back negative to Springsteen and Scott. So the DNA, they're like, again, there's nothing there now that puts them at the scene. The DNA has now officially been confirmed. At this point, like, the investigators are like, well, maybe there was a fifth person. Like, oh my god, how many people do you think was in this damn yogurt shop doing this? Like, now you're trying to say five people were in there? Like, Jesus Christ. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I get, like, irritated. <laughs> but, um, So, in 2009, both men walked out of jail on bond, because remember... Even though the DNA came back negative, they're still like, these guys did it. Let's retry them. But finally, in October of 2009, the prosecution was like, we can't do another case against them. Like, this DNA is kind of the nail in the coffin. Like, we're not going to be able to get them convicted again now that this is out. Um, so they just gave it up for now. Hmm. So in 2000. 11. Um, Scott's lawyer, Carlos Garcia, decided to dig back into the files for clues. It was at that point, with the help of the defense clerk, Amber Farley, they found the clues in the photos. So, let's talk about these uh, photos. So, um, they went over the witness statements about those two men that were inside the restaurant who were acting weird. Something didn't seem right. So they got out all the photo evidence from the night um, of the crime. So what they noticed is the girls had done most of their closing procedures. All the napkins were full. The chairs overturned. Except at that booth in the back where those guys were sitting. The napkin container was empty. So indicating the girls never got to reset that table and put new napkins in. So why wouldn't that happen? Because <laughs> the fucking dudes never left. Um, the other big thing was the lo the key was still in the lock at the front door. If they had let those two dudes out, they would have like locked the door behind them and taken the key out. Well, you wouldn't leave the key in the door. Um, so anyways, like I said, like, I think it's pretty obvious that those two guys were the ones responsible. Like, there's nothing of them leaving. So much points to them being the two that were there. Um, now, the witnesses from 
the yogurt shop that night, they were shown, like Springsteen, Scott, Pierce, Welburn, none of them were picked out or identified. Like, all of them were like, nope, that's not the guys we saw at the yogurt shop. So again, like, you know, you just need more things to convict someone. Um, anyways, <laughs> so it's real frustrating. Those two customers to this day have still never been identified. Um, so I do wonder though, um, just as a side note, how much evidence they actually have. Um, I did read somewhere that they had quite a bit of evidence that wasn't really looked at or like investigated much. I don't know how true that is. Cause I know these investigators are like going crazy to get this solved. Like, I mean, who would want this just left open? Like these poor families need justice. These like girls need justice. It's just awful. Um, and you know, the, the community needs closure, right? Like, you want to know that this monsters of human beings that like, they're not even human. They're just pieces of shit. Um, you want to know that they get put away and that they're not around. Um, so, cause I read somewhere, um, I, I'm going to try to find it and link it. I did read somewhere that there was like over like 1300 pieces of things put in evidence so that would include photos, everything, right? Um, I feel like that's pretty common for a crime scene. Um, but I'm just wondering because, you know, the back room was where all, most of the fire was. Um, and everything, again, was pretty much destroyed. But the front in the dining area, like there are pictures. Again, I will put up pictures. It doesn't look crazy damaged. Um, I mean, I'm sure the problem with that is that there was probably a lot of smoke damage everywhere. I don't know how much you would get because of the smoke damage, like, or how bad it was. Um, cause I'm just thinking like if those guys sat there in that booth, they're touching things. They had a can of pop. Like, I just, I don't know what else they could possibly have fingerprint wise or anything else right it would just be interesting um to just kind of look at it from fresh eyes from the very beginning um just start over and see where they can go with it without thinking of everything else that's happened um like the people who were convicted and all that stuff and overturned like just start from the beginning look at it like as if you've never heard of it never nothing right um uh, yeah it's just insane. The yogurt shop actually is uh, now a nail salon. Uh, friends and family still hold vigils, um, which is so upsetting. In 1994, the family sued the yogurt shop and the shop center owners for neglect for not protecting the workers because I guess there was numerous robberies prior to this happening. They were awarded $12 million, so they set up a fund called We Will Never Forget S-A-J-E in honor of the girls, which is just so sweet. So, uh, remember good old Morris Pierce? <laughs> um, December 2010, he ran from a routine police stop. He was apprehended. Then he stabbed the fucking officer for no goddamn reason. 
during this, another officer ended up shooting him and he died waiting for an ambulance. So he died in 2010. So now the frustrating part is, so this part gets a little weird. Um, the families are fighting to use familiar ah, DNA, <laughs> however you say that, F familiar DNA, whatever, <laughs> um, to find the killer. Cause again, like this case haunts the families, the community, like the investigators even so much. And all they have to cling to is that little DNA sample, um, like that little stem of hope. Um, so in 2014, they were actually told there was a match to the sample uploaded in this thing called like YSTR, like it's a male only database or something. Uh, it's with the FBI, I guess. Um, but with more testing advancements in 2020, they were told that it wasn't a perfect match. So not enough to like arrest anyone or anything like that. This is where it's fucked though. Because there's so many issues because they're not allowed to release the information of who gave that DNA. Because for whatever reason, when they gave that DNA, for whatever the reason was, there's like something in their laws or whatever that says that they can't give it out um, to connect it to another investigation. Like, so they can't just get like this guy's DNA, whoever he is. Or even if it's not a perfect match, because obviously they came back and said it wasn't. But even still, like, if you can narrow it down to people who even partially match, but they say they can't. So, unfortunately, that's all there is. There's no new news or updates, which I really hope this one gets solved. Like, you have the DNA. There's, There was eyewitnesses. Like, who were these two guys in that store? And I honestly think... That those two guys were the ones who did this. Um, they're out there somewhere. Like, I don't know. It's it's real frustrating. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy. I really thought it was going to be so much longer. I must have talked so quick. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I hope you stuck around. If you did, you are wonderful. Um, apologies again for my editing or lack thereof and my poor audio. I'm sure it will get better. I hope so because yes, <laughs> advancements. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I did kind of ask around and see how people like the full episodes or partial episodes. Like when people do it in a couple parts, I don't know if I can picture myself like pausing and then doing another one at another date. Um, so I think I'm probably just going to try to do episodes like in full, even after hours long. I don't know. You might hate it. You can always pause it, I guess. I don't know. Just keep giving me feedback. That would be lovely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks so much for listening. I can't even believe I had some listeners and from like other countries and stuff. Like, it's just crazy. It's been so cool. Um, a lot of my friends and family have been like listening and involved and it's just, it's been so nice. Um, yeah, it's really cool. So please follow me on all the socials, you know, uh, Twitter is what a killer pod. Um, I'm not a Twitter person though, so I don't even know if I'll really be updating on there, but yeah, sure. Go and add, <laughs> go follow whatever it is. 
Um, Facebook and Instagram are both What A Killer Podcasts. Um, email what a killer podcast at gmail.com. Um, Patreon what a killer podcast. I don't really have stuff on there right now. Um, I mean, I could do some special episodes for the Patreon or whatever. Maybe just some fun, weird stuff. I don't know. You guys tell me what, um, like what you'd like. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. My name is Nancy. This was Water Killer Podcasts. I can't believe people are listening. (laughs) Bye.